Hi. Hi. I'm Evan. I'm Addie. And you are listening to the Speaking English Podcast, the place to be for anyone who wants to watch more movies or read more books but doesn't quite know where to start. Here we are on episode 176, and the time has come once again to wrap up the month. This is our November wrap-up episode. Here we are to talk about what we read and watched in the month of November 2023. Yay, I love wrap-up episodes. Nice. My favorite. Nice. So that's what we're here to do, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, but how has your week been? Um, fine. I had a lot of homework. <laughs> this is like the, this is dead week or whatever, which by the way, Adam said to me yesterday that he wishes that CSU had a dead week. And I was like, are we not in that right now? <laughs> like, because this is the, the week stuff. before finals. <laughs> and he was like, I just feel like it was, it was never actually a dead week for me. Like it always had so many deadlines and projects and papers and stuff. And I was like, well, me too. But I thought that's what that meant. Like, I thought that a dead week, it's called that because it makes you feel dead inside. Yeah, you're dead. <laughs> There's so the much to do dead. before the finals. <laughs> but I was saying he thinks it's a week that other schools have where it's like nothing is due as like time to prepare for finals. So I don't know what the truth of this is. But hmm. for me, this has been a week that has made me feel dead inside. <laughs> Yeah, who, who's, who's dead during dead week, I guess. Is yeah. The answer. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been tough. I don't know. It's just this like liminal time between Thanksgiving and winter breaks is just like brutal every single time. So yeah. whatever. But over the weekend, I got to have a really fun Friendsgiving um, with some of my good friends around Fort Collins. So that was really, really fun. And uh Oh, Adam and I got a Christmas tree. I got my first uh, ever. I've never had a real Christmas tree before. I and think, we picked one up. Did I talk about this last time? Well, I think you mentioned it. You hadn't done it yet, but you did oh, were planning on it. It's so cute. I love <laughs> just having a real tree in my living room. And we've been making ornaments for it. I've crocheted a few. Uh, we uh, baked some like orange slices to dry them out and hang those. And we made some stuff out of air dry clay which was really fun adam made a little ornament that he smushed our cat's uh paw print into some clay Uh we have a little ornament of his paw so yeah that the whole like getting into the festive season has been really fun for me a nice distraction from school you're full of christmas cheer i am i've got the holiday glee (laughs) Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> I don't know if you already know this, but my family, every year we buy a new ornament to put on our Christmas tree. That's really and cute. So it, we we always we have a, a not a real tree, but we always mm-hmm. have the same ornaments and they're really starting to grow in number. But here lately it's been uh, just like one ornament a year and it's like a big deal wherever we go if we go on like any family trips we always have to go buy an ornament oh i love that that's a great tradition um so yeah really sweet it's, yeah, how's your weekend? it's been good this is my my weekend has started as of now i only had to and go it's to school tuesday two days <laughs> yeah we're recording on tuesday and uh no school on wednesday thursday or friday so we didn't have Thanksgiving break, but this is kind of like that now. Um, nice. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do this weekend. 
I have some ideas of some stuff that I need to get done. Specifically, uh, a video. I'm going to try to shoot a video for the daily season 10. Oh, cool. Right around the corner. I finished the book for season nine. So I'm on crunch time. I got to get something done. So exciting. Season Uh, 10. That's like a huge milestone. It kind of is. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I haven't had like that many great creative ideas about it. And also I don't have a tripod here, which when I'm filming videos starring myself or kind of a, necess- a necessity is having a tripod <laughs> so that you can put stuff with your camera. So I'll have to get a little creative with it um, and try some stuff. So I think I'll do that this, some of that this weekend and, and hope it works out. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and then after that, yeah, it's like what, three more weeks until I leave for Christmas. Till Christmas nice. Break. Oh, so exciting. Um, yeah, so we'll see what the future holds, but I have a good amount of stuff that I want to get done this weekend that has nothing to do with my actual job, which is kind of nice. Unless <laughs> I don't get it done, then it'll be the opposite of kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, in other news, Spotify Wrapped came out since the last time we did an episode. Yes. Do you want to talk about that at all? <laughs> Um, I had by far the lowest number of listening minutes that I've ever had. And I knew that that was going to happen because I spent so much of my music listening time this year listening to KCSU, the radio station. Like anytime I was kind of in my house or in my car also, instead of putting Spotify on like I usually do, I have KCSU on on the live stream or on my car radio because I want to like support. I love listening to other DJ shows and stuff and getting Mm -hmm. inspired and hearing what everybody's playing. So yeah, I had, I think I had only like 10,000 Spotify minutes, which is so low. Um, My top artists were very much expected. Lana Del Rey was my number one again. And actually four of my five top songs were Lana songs because Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard came out this year. So I listened to that like obsessively. Um, and then the fifth song was Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I, I love that song. <laughs> nice. What a lineup. I thought that was really funny. So yeah, I didn't share it because I was like, oh man, this is embarrassing. <laughs> but it's exactly what I thought it was going to look okay. like. I got you. Yeah, because I was going to say, I, I hadn't seen yours and I was yeah. really curious. Usually I like to post it, but this year I was like, mm. I had to ask about it. Uh, Mine is usually the same. Yeah, it's usually the same, like five artists or four of the five artists. Yeah, same. But there was a shakeup at the top spot this year because I had Wise Blood as my number one artist. Nice. Which you love Wise Blood. Yeah, I've talked about her a lot on the pod already, but Mm -hmm. I was I was surprised that she was number one. To be honest, I figured she'd be in the top five. And also The Cure in the top five new this year. So there's a whole lot of shakeups, but no Beatles. Crazy. Um, but yeah. And and my uh, I do like little monthly playlists. So my top 100 songs or whatever are never surprising because it's always just whatever's on my monthly playlist because that's what I'm mm-hmm. listening to the most. So I'm never too surprised by the songs. But, but The uh, Beatles were actually in my top five this year. Nice. They were my number five. I can't believe the Beatles of all people dropped new music. I know. (laughs) 
I don't know if you saw this, but I discovered it the other day that they're in the little wrapped tab. They have merch where basically some artists have discounted merch for people that are their top fans. That's cool. There's like certain items. I think everything that I saw is sold out now, but certain items that were only available for people who had them in their top art. That is so cool. I don't think Lana did anything like that, but maybe she did and I just missed it. But I would have snatched something up had I known Mm -hmm. about it. Um, I just think it's fun. Well, I mean, it it was all still too expensive for (laughs) for any of it. But uh, yeah, but there's like specifically a Sufjan Steven shirt that's only for top fans. That's and the so Beatles cool. jacket, which is like really cool, but it's also $125. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but it's only for top fans, which I think is so cool. That is so cool. I love that. It's a great idea. Yeah. More ways to get us to spend our money. Yeah. <laughs> they, won't, they won't get me, though. <laughs> they might get me. I might look into it after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So this is normally where we do our uh, mailbag segment. When we have mailbag things, we didn't begin this week. But there's some other questions that we can fill in here. Um, well, the, the Spotify rap thing is one of them. That's a good mailbag topic. Uh-huh. So it, it's perfect for this section here. But the other thing is something that you asked me mere moments ago, well, <laughs> mere hours ago. Yes. Um, which was? Can you recommend any spaghetti westerns to me? What say ye? And the answer is yes, I can. <laughs> but it's the same ones that everyone else would recommend to you. That's fine with me. So, I don't really know uh, anything about the genre. Okay. Well, so I'll explain a little bit here because it's kind of odd. And I didn't really, I, until I got to sitting around thinking about it, I didn't realize how odd it was. Basically, okay. there's the cream of the crop, about five or six movies that are widely seen, critically well regarded as like big spaghetti westerns. Beyond that, the genre itself is a very like B genre and it's not a whole lot of like quality or production value aside from like a staple group of like six or seven movies by specifically like two directors only (laughs) which i think (laughs) is funny uh because i think uh sergio leone is like the big guy the big name and i think he Mm -hmm. kind of invented the genre but was like the only one that did anything super interesting or groundbreaking with it well that's kind of awesome for him yeah is like nobody's copying me. Nobody can do it like I'm doing it. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, okay, well, there's the ones that I've seen, and then there's probably some more that are like staples, and there is other ones that are staples, but there's a very clear like canon here, and basically, okay. it's the doll. It's what's called the Dollars Trilogy, which are the okay. the uh, all directed by Sergio Leone and all starring Clint Eastwood as like the man with no name. Okay, cool. I'm um, gonna put this on my letterbox watch list. Yeah, so they are uh, the fi- uh, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, I've definitely heard of the good, the bad, and the, the ugly. Good, yeah, that's that's like <laughs> the big one. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So those three are kind of like the the big thing. And then Sergio Leone did another one that's uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which I actually haven't seen, but I need to. That's the other big staple. We could watch it for the pod if you wanted. Maybe so. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, the other ones I'd recommend are uh, two by Sergio Corbucci. Okay. Um, the first one would be Django, the original Django. Oh, cool. I didn't know that was the spaghetti Western. Yeah. Um, starring Franco Nero. And when I watched this, the, the version wasn't very good, but I'm sure you could find like a good transfer of it somewhere. Okay. Um, but there's another one that Cor- Corbucci did called The Great Silence. That's also pretty well regarded, but I haven't seen that one either. So Okay. So that's what six recommendations of which I haven't seen two, but those are like kind of the, the, if you've seen those six, you kind of know what it's all about. And I guess I'd put it this way, that if you don't like any of those, then you won't like any others. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. But uh, yeah, and that's for anyone listening. Those are the, if you were to went to get into spaghetti Westerns, that's a place to start. (laughs) I'm truly so excited about this. I really feel like it's going to open up a whole new chapter of my identity. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) I'm a spaghetti Western. (laughs) I'm a person with Italian heritage living in Colorado. (laughs) That's why I was like, I got to get into this. Yeah. You're from this, you're spaghetti from the West. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when I was reading my uh, Italian film history book, they talked about how there was kind of, I, I watched a Peplum movie a, a few months ago that I talked about, but that was a while ago. Um, and basically in the sixties and seventies, all the B picture directors just jumped from like, I don't remember which was first. I think the Peplum epic was first. So like the Peplum movies to the spaghetti Westerns to Giallo thrillers. And it was like the same directors just doing whatever genre was popular at the time mm-hmm. just like his b mm-hmm. pictures so it's kind of interesting i think but cool and uh, there, yeah and there are some giallo directors who got their start doing spaghetti westerns too oh cool that's awesome um but i can't think of any good examples i just remember reading that in the book <laughs> <laughs> nice um yeah get into it do you uh, books we read to start off mm. with in the month of November. I only have one after talking such a big game of like, <laughs> I've been reading so much. I love reading, which is true, but I'm also reading like two big books right now. And I didn't, I've only finished one book this month besides 20,000 leagues. Me as well. I have one book besides 20,000 leagues under the old sea. And it's not that impressive of a read, but okay. you can go first. <laughs> Unless I will tell you about it. You can go first anyways. <laughs> okay. This month I reread the first Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. If you're American. Which no. I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good. Okay. So the first time that I read Harry Potter was actually as an adult. Like I read them for the first time, uh, my sophomore year of college and they were so magical and I had so much fun. I really was like, man, these are even better than I expected them to be. But I did not like the first one or the second one. The first time that I read them, the first one is very much a children's book. And then they get a lot more 
mature as they go on. And I remember just rolling my eyes at so much of the kind of like sing-songy, like childlike language, I guess, of the first one. Like the opening line is like, the Dursleys are perfectly normal people and they're perfectly fine with that. Thank you very much. And I was like, I'm going to hate this. (laughs) Why do people love these books? Um, but I soldiered through cause everyone told me they just get better and better, which they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, it's been a good couple of years now since I read the series and I've forgotten a lot. What honestly, what I remember being the most surprised by the first time I read through them was how genuinely shocking and clever the twist of every book is. Cause I had never even seen the movie. So like, I really didn't know anything about them going into okay. it. And I, every single book I was like, no freaking way. I can't believe that's what was going on this whole time. <laughs> um, so enough time has gone by now. I've forgotten a lot of that type of information. I remember like the general plot points, but mm-hmm. I've forgotten how they were sort of like revealed. So I was like, okay, well, Maybe it's maybe I could really benefit from reading something fun and whimsical <laughs> this yeah. holiday season while I'm like drowning in school. So I reread the first one. I'm reading the second one now. Um, it's so much. I like it so much more this time around than I did the first time. Maybe just because I went into it knowing that this one is a children's book. Like I think maybe mm-hmm. the first time I read the first one, I expected phenomenal things because so many grown people in my life were like, these are the best books ever. (laughs) Uh, But now going into it being like, I know that the first two are children's books. um, I just had so much more fun with it. And like, it just really is a delightful story. The friendship between Ron, Hermione and Harry is so wholesome and cute. Like I just love reading about it. I love it really like wraps you up in the world so much too. Like, it's just so fun to kind of feel like read the book and like, feel like you're immersed in Hogwarts and magic and stuff. I love it. My only qualms with the first one this time around are like, just in general, I do not like the four houses. (laughs) I like the concept of that, like a lot. Like I think it's fun to kind of have that competition going on in the the whole series, Uh but the way the characteristics of each house are just so dumb. Like, I'm like, why did you think of splitting people into these four categories? It makes no Uh, sense. Has anyone with any of the traits of the other three could be in Gryffindor. Like you can be all those other things and also brave. Like, come on. That's not, it just drives me nuts. And especially because like Hermione should be in Ravenclaw, like by definition of the houses, it pisses me off that she's in Gryffindor when she's the cleverest one. That's her whole thing. So, and also to have a house, that's just evil. (laughs) It's just like, these are the bad kids. Uh, They're probably going to be evil. I, I yeah. know, but it's just like everyone it's, is always it's more, yeah. every every dark wizard who's yeah. ever been dark has been in Slytherin. Just and because you're back. <laughs> in Slytherin doesn't mean you're a bad guy. But if you're right. a bad guy, you definitely you're came from Slytherin. Slytherin. <laughs> exactly. It's stupid. <laughs> the other thing that's stupid is the rules of Quidditch. Really drives me nuts. This whole catching the snitch is 150 points. And somebody has to catch the snitch. It's just like the rest of the game hardly matters at all. There should just be two seekers out there. That's that's all it comes down to. I really wish that it was just worth less points. Like, I wish it was like, it's pretty likely that if you catch the snitch, you'll win. But it's very much possible to win if your seeker doesn't catch the snitch. 
also, if that's true, and like the way that it is now, if your team is down by more than 150 points or whatever, mm-hmm. why would you catch the snitch? Exactly. Ex- that makes it more fun. Because you would just like, want to, yeah, what? you just want to keep the other person from catching the snitch exactly. until your team goes back to being down by less than 150. Exactly. That would be so much more compelling. Think J.K. Rowling. <laughs> back, back when I did, when I used to do sports betting, this was a lot of how my bets went about. Mm. I was like, I need this to happen, but not until this. Exactly. Or... <laughs> That's way more fun, way more intriguing. So those are genuinely my only two complaints. Otherwise, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, mm-hmm. fantastic time. I had a blast. But I'm like halfway through Chamber of Secrets now, and it's just already so much better like so much well maybe i shouldn't say so much just Mm -hmm. a little bit better written um but there's also some like long chapters in chamber of secrets that have just nothing to do with anything that kind of pissed me off i just read this whole chapter about um nearly headless nick's death day party and i was like man i just do not care (laughs) i don't care that they're here right now let's get back to the plot (laughs) (laughs) it's like dorian gray and his paintings all over again books or whatever it was i don't even remember now (laughs) um yeah yeah sounds cool do you have a favorite harry potter book from do that you remember from the first time you read them Yes, um, Half-Blood Prince was like very much my favorite mm. from the first time around. But my favorite movie was Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the next one. Yeah, um, well, so. I mean, that's just, consider- I think it's just the best movie. Yeah, that's just objectively true, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I like the fourth movie a lot, too. Or at least I think I do. The fourth movie is just very memorable to me with like the mm. games, the cup and everything, and the mermaids. Yeah. But, but, you know, you know me and movies about mermaids, so mermaid. maybe that's just very biased. <laughs> Um, my favorite is the fifth book. What is that one? The Order of the Phoenix. Oh, the Order of the Phoenix. That's so funny. I was so mad for like the first third of that book when I was reading it because Harry is so angsty in that one. (laughs) (laughs) Reading it, like being inside his head while he's just pissed at the world and his friends. I was like, oh, yeah, it's so emo. It's so emo. Yeah. I don't know. I just remember when I read that, like I read the first half of that book in one night or something. Nice. They really get insanely good. And like, I remember when I, I don't know. Yes. When I picked up the fourth one, I was like, I cannot put this down the first time around. And that was really fun. So I can't wait to get there again. Very nice. My one book, I wouldn't say it's like cheating to call it a book, but it's my parallel text short stories. So basically I found a book at a bookstore, (laughs) which (laughs) here in Spain, which has, is like Spanish language short stories with the English translation on the opposite page. Oh, cool. And it's so much nicer for me to read this in like to read Spanish this way for like my level. Um, because you can read along for however long you're understanding things. And then when you don't get something, you can just look across the page and see, like read the whole sentence to get the context. Cause sometimes when I'm reading in Spanish and I have to look up specific words, I don't have the context around it. And it like takes a while to puzzle it. And I think it's important to keep like some reading flow in there. Otherwise it'll just take way too long to finish. 
That makes perfect sense. Um, so I want to try to seek out more of these until I get to the level where I can read Spanish more clearly, <laughs> like to not have to be able to stop as much to look stuff up. Um, yeah, that's good. But yeah, this was put on by Penguin Publishing, and uh, it was a, just a, they, they like selected various different short stories from authors. Only one of them was Spain Spanish. The rest were from Latin America somewhere. Yeah, and it, it's interesting to see the differences in the language also, because I could tell immediately which one was the Spanish, the Spain Spanish story, just because of the <laughs> way that it was written. And I was like, that's just kind of cool to see, because they, they do speak very differently here. That is really cool. Um, but that's like kind of all I have to say about that. All the short stories were, were differing in quality. Some I really liked, some I didn't. But uh, I actually traded it with a friend who, who has the, the different version, like a different short story collection that's kind of the same. So I don't have okay, the book cool. anymore. And I'm reading that one now. So Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And those have been very helpful. So good. Um, I want to look and find more of like uh, maybe like a novel in in the parallel text because I think that would be very helpful for me. Yeah. So yeah, that's the book I read. I'm also reading East of Eden, and I'm excited yeah! to talk about that one for next month. I'm because <laughs> so there's excited. no way I don't finish it by the end of the month. No, it took. I remember talking about this, but. That was one of my penguin oranges, which mm -hmm. I had the goal of reading one every month. And that one single-handedly like set me behind. I could not finish it in oh, a month. Gosh. It's so dense. It's um, I mean, it's, it's like worth like, studying. Like you really have to like take your time with every page and really think it out, which I love about it, but it mm. is not a quick read. Mm. Oh, I, I kind of meant the opposite in that like I was it was so engrossing that like I'm I'm getting oh. it very like steadily. Yeah, cool. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, but I also have the Penguin Orange version because nice. yeah. when I got it, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I saw it there. I said, I got to get it because ever since you recommended it, I was kind of had my eye out and I found it in a couple places. But as soon as I like saw the 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 orange edition or whatever, I was like, man, I got to get beautiful. it. It's so. beautiful. I like really love the penguin orange designs. I think they're gorgeous. Mm. Uh, I just got to the part where they named the kids. Yeah. That one so goes, good. That, that scene goes crazy. It goes so crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be talking about that next month. Cool. And we'll do book club. We have to read our book club book. <laughs> yes. I haven't quite gotten it. Uh, I haven't started it yet. I was going to do it on an, I was going to try to do an audiobook because Spotify has been like, we have audiobooks now, <laughs> like sending alerts and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, oh, yeah. you know what? Let me give it a try. It's not available on the premium. So I could pay like 20 bucks to get it as an audiobook. And I said, I can probably get it for way less on the Kindle. Yeah. So I, I don't know if do people can do it on YouTube, but sometimes there's free recordings oh, of okay. books out there. but i purchased i was just thinking about it because i have it right in front of me and i hate to say this but i purchased the uk paperback version because the uh u.s cover is so ugly it pisses mm. me off it has a real person's face on it i hate I think, it when i think it's the same one that is like on the spotify thing because when i looked it up i was like that is not a good <laughs> cover no it's awful <laughs> 
the UK one is pretty cute. Nice. Yeah, it looks cool. Got to give credit where it's due. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, movie time. Great. I think we both watched Killers of the Flower Moon, though. We did. And I think that would be the first one I want to really talk about. So if you want to start okay. out with your takes on it, then I will respond because <laughs> okay, I think you should start it out because you read the book last month, I think, I and you talked did. about it. So, yeah. yeah. And I really, really love the book and I'd highly recommend it. And I liked the movie as well. And I think I would have liked the movie more had I not read the book and had the movie been my first exposure to this story. But having read the book and then watched the movie, the thing that stood out to me the most was like the lack of balance that the movie found when compared to the book. So the book is really not centered around any one person or one person's kind of perspective or life. And the movie is so the movie like very much revolves around Ernest Burkhart, uh, who is a murderer <laughs> and is horrible and evil. Um, and the, the book just isn't the book like was able to strike such a nice balance between the history of the Osage people and how they came into all this money and how the world was just out to get them because of it. Um, and then the actual series of events, the murders, Molly's family and like their specific story. And then the formation of the FBI, like that's kind of why this story has like rippled out for so long. I mean, that's not the only reason why, but this is like the events that made reason to have a bureau, a federal bureau of investigation. Mm, okay. Um, and Tom White's character, Tom White as a real person is so interesting, dude. Like just so wildly fascinating. Is that Jesse Plemons? Yeah. Okay. He was in real life, a Texas Ranger who was just like weirdly good at his job and like very <laughs> smart, but not, you know, like not a detective. Um, and the, like, the president himself and like the higher up of the government was just watching everybody they possibly could just pulling people from so many different areas being like somebody has to go into Osage County and figure this out. And they ultimately settled on Tom White after a series of failed private detectives, like a long series of failed oh, okay. private detectives. And it, Tom White like just shook up the whole thing the way that i they show like one scene in this movie about this story but he himself like hand selected this elite team of like very diverse people in a lot of different positions and put them all undercover in osage county to figure this out and it and it worked and like and now that's the, the bureau of investigation and that's so interesting and reading about that in the book was just like mind-boggling to me and i was really disappointed in how much the movie neglected that like the movie really neglected everything uh, that happened to the Osage and like their their whole extremely rich, extremely interesting history. Um, and then everything that came post the murders with the FBI in favor of like the crime itself and in favor of telling Ernest Burkhardt's story. And I just think that that is the least interesting choice they could have made. Mm -hmm. And it was so shocking to me. Like, I really think that telling this movie centered around either Molly or Tom White would have been so much more interesting and just made so much more sense. Like I just, in the th these three components of the story, I really think that like the murderers and what led them to do this is the least compelling thing. Mm. <laughs> like, 
I, I just can't. It's just such a shocking way to frame this to me that I walked out of the movie just being like bewildered that that's the choice. <laughs> that I made. But anyway, like outside of that, outside of like wanting to just compare it to the way that the book told the story, I do think it was good. I personally don't think it needed to be that long. <laughs> I don't really like to say that people never people are always like, blah, 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 but I'm like, no, I mean, it was really long. It was very long Yeah, like, for what we <laughs> um, got. Yeah. Right. So I don't, I just, I was a little bit disappointed. Um, but the performances were so fantastic. Like it really was so, I don't know, intricately crafted and so like polished and put together in a lot of ways. And a lot of the scenes, a lot of like the visuals, especially around the Osage and their beliefs and their culture have really stuck with me. Like the two scenes where you kind of see Molly's mom die and move on. And then like the series of scenes where Molly herself is about to die with this illness. And you just see like how prolonged the sickness was and how like just evil the nature of this like poison was and the scenes where she sort of sees the owl and like the way that they tied in that belief system into these like really harrowing scenes. I thought that that was just like phenomenal. It's really stuck with me. It was so cool to see. And like, I just like the whole cast of Osage people or of native American people. I don't think they're actually all Osage, but um, Mm -hmm. I don't know the way that they were cast and like the costuming, costuming of it all, the way that so much of their language is incorporated in the movie. I really loved all of that. I thought it was really well done. I just wish that there was like more of that and a better balance of it throughout the story i guess those are my thoughts (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think i pretty much agree with with most everything that you said just the the it it felt well i I will say that the last like 20 to 30 minutes of this were crazy yeah but a lot of what came before i was like it's it's saying the same thing a lot of the time and and i'm just Mm -hmm. not sure how necessary maybe a lot of it was as far as telling the stories specific to what it is mm-hmm. just because i think um i forget his name but leonardo dicaprio's character Ernest. Ernest. he's just like a dumb ignorant guy i know and he never stops being a dumb ignorant guy exactly and i guess for me the way that it was portrayed in the movie just the way that the events were portrayed in the movie was a little bit just kind of like obvious in ways that I don't think it was in real life based on what you've been saying about the book, because Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's like very clear who killed, like who is killing these people. Yeah. And then the, 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 the boys come in and then they're like, Oh yeah, these are who's killing these people. And then it's like, okay, yes, (laughs) that is, you were right. That is who's killing these people. And then, like, the stuff that goes on from there, and like the the repercussions of that are very interesting. But yes, so exactly, yeah. No, I think I think that it is that it does a good job of like portraying, um, you know what, how, how like the the events resolved, and and it does like carry themes throughout of mm-hmm. uh, like with with um, Ernest, he really does love Molly, right? But then it's like he's being just being like manipulated, like. And is just fine with it, never really questions, changes. And so seeing that kind of develop towards the end was really good. But a lot of the middle part was like, 
not really developing anything new, I thought. I know. And it's just so like extra shocking and disappointing because of how much material there was to work with mm, in the book okay. and like with the story in general. Like it's just like nobody asked you to make this extremely drawn out middle part about Ernest saying the same thing over and over again. Like put the lens on other areas of the story, which were more interesting in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I just really can't get over. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very fair point. And that's kind of what I was thinking too throughout most of it, because I don't want, I mean, I didn't dislike this at all. I I did quite. No, me neither. But And uh, like, ultimately more than anything else, I'm like glad that the story was told in a Martin Scorsese movie and that it like got so much attention and got these huge names because it is so interesting and so like worth learning about. So it's, it's just really cool that it was became this like mega picture. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and also like the, the thing that I heard the most about, like maybe leading up to this was like how much respect was shown mm-hmm. uh, like to the Osage community. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's cool because you get a sense of like, authenticity to it and that totally that yeah sense. um so yeah i think i think more than anything else i think the problems were just with the script i guess yeah i agree and, and i don't know i i i don't want to say that i didn't care because i did care but just for how how long and how much time was spent mm-hmm. on unless i mean i might just like be missing something but it feels like the the uh the theming was was pretty upfront and could be communicated in a more protracted way maybe um (laughs) which is interesting because i watched the irishman which is another you know very long late career scorsese movie and i actually really liked that and i thought the weight of the extra time i mean it it was kind of it was it's a long movie to get through there's no turning away from that but i thought it was used well and the the way that you feel the time works with the story it's telling. Um, yeah. And I think it was like done very well. And like, I'm fine with that movie being however long it was, but this one, while I was fine with it, I felt like, yeah, it, it, it didn't need to be that long. It was. Yeah, I really agree. And I haven't seen the Irishman specifically, but I just am not a hater of long movies in general. Like oh, I'm yeah. perfect to sit through like a up to four hour movie, you know, which we have before for the <laughs> if it feels like it's worth it, you know, like I'm not just saying the critique of like, I think it was too long in terms of like, no movie should be this long. Oh, it's just yeah, like, definitely. it has to like earn <laughs> the length, like the length <laughs> needs to justify it. And I don't personally yeah. think it was in this movie, although it easily could have been <laughs> like <laughs> with all of the other material that was in the book at first when I it was like, Oh, it's a three and a half hour movie. I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Cause there's a lot that there's this so book has to tackle. Okay. And then when watching it, I was like, well, they just did not use this time wisely at <laughs> all. I got to say when all the, when all the FBI guys showed up, that was so cool. I literally, when they all show up, I leaned over to Adam and I was like, this is my favorite part of the book. <laughs> and then it was like a one minute scene where they like hardly even explain anything. And I was like, oh, this is so much more interesting than you've been led to believe. <laughs> I don't know if I say it was a one minute scene, but just like <laughs> the process of them showing up to everyone getting caught. Yeah. It seemed like it could have gone. Well, it just seemed very easy because and. I know. I guess for me, that was like the way that it was presented was just kind of like I said earlier. You just, mm-hmm. it's very clear to the audience, you know, what's going on. 
And it right. should it, it seems like it's clear to all the people around also. It isn't. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's it's more is it, in the movie it's more about like firepower coming in and less about like reasoning and figuring mm-hmm. things out coming in. Exactly. I really I think that in deciding to show you so much of the perspective of Ernest and uh, what's his face, the king of the Osage Hills, as they call him. I can't remember his real name. He just um, like king, right? Yeah, king. Um, they really sacrifice letting you see just how strong the influence of that man was, in, in, like in this county. Like people really, or at least I don't know. This is the way that the book tells it, but people like uh-huh. really regarded him as such an ally, like such a friend, like he had really weaseled his way into the hearts of these people. So it was very shocking for everybody. And again, so many private detectives had gone out here before they finally involved like the whole of the higher up government and failed, like could not figure it out and also were killed. <laughs> like a yeah. lot of them were just off. Um, I mean, and it you did see that a little years. bit in the movie. Yeah, you do. I think but some I just of what you're saying... Yeah, I actually pretty well. Yeah, I don't think that they really like let the audience in on just how long this went unsolved and how like distressing the lack of information that they had about what was going on was. Mm. Oh, that that last scene went crazy though. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) agreed. Yeah, I I gave it an eight out of ten. Like <laughs> to be clear, uh-huh. I really liked this movie. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was good. A lot of it was really like just excellent. And like I said before, like so memorable, which was really cool. And like you were saying too, I've also heard a lot about how respectfully it was done. And I've seen a lot of Osage people just like say how much they appreciate this story being told and the way that it was gone about. And that's like not something that can be overlooked at all. You know, like it, it really is very cool. And overall, like it, it was good. Like it really yeah. wasn't a bad movie at all. It just yeah. was surprising and like the storytelling nature of it. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I give this one a seven out of 10. Nice. Uh, okay. I have three that I just want to mention. I can rifle through real quick. Cool. Uh, so I watched from Russia with love. I think this is the, maybe the second James Bond movie. Basically I was feeling like Hitchcock, but not really Hitchcock. Gotcha. Um, Because I've seen most of Hitchcock's movies and the, the influence that he left on the industry probably Mm -hmm. cannot be overstated. But the one specific thing that I think is interesting is that like North by Northwest a movie that he did in 59, mm-hmm. I believe, um, pretty much was like the blueprint for the early James Bond movies. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'm feeling like Hitchcock, but something fun and new, like new to me. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. so I was like, let's watch some early James Bond. So this is the second one from Russia with Love. And this one definitely feels like a Hitch, more like a Hitchcock movie and less like later james bond movies with crazy stunts and explosions and stuff gotcha. which this one did have a couple of fun stunts but it was more of like a spy movie i guess in the same vein as uh north by northwest mm-hmm. so i don't know i thought it was fun but uh maybe i don't have too much more to say about it but 
a lot of people, I think this is like different from what the franchise would go on to do. And so a lot of people hold this in very high regard. Um, and uh, I liked it. There are scenes on trains, just like in Hitchcock movies, <laughs> such as North by Northwest, yeah. The 39 <laughs> Steps, such as. Uh, Lady Vanishes, Strangers right. on a Train. Two of those we've seen for the podcast. So Yes. One of which was really good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because I don't even remember like um, the, the lady vanishes doesn't stand out to me a whole lot. Like I know that we didn't, we weren't over the moon about it, but it's like, I remember so much more about the 39 steps than that one, Same. despite having seen it. But like before. Same. I feel the um, same way. Uh, but yeah. Uh, seven out of 10 for, from Russia with love. The next one I watched is called This is the Night. This is, uh, I think it was on Criterion as part of like a, oh yes, it was, they have a collection called Pre-Code Divas, which is just a collection um, of like iconic actresses in pre-code movies. Love that. And This is the Night starts out so strong. <laughs> the 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 Pre-Code Diva that is it, in the collection, I guess, um, would be Thelma Todd, who plays more of a supporting role because inexplicably at like 40 minutes in this movie, it uh, focuses on the two least interesting characters up to that point and <laughs> makes a romance between them. Annoying. The first 40 minutes of this movie are incredible. It's, it's Cary Grant's first screen appearance. And, uh, him and Thelma. Uh, I, I don't want to describe the plot a whole lot, actually, because it's not that important. But anyways, the the movie, the, the romance that the movie focuses on is the two like boring people among a cast of very interesting characters. And it was just very frustrating because it did that. But I want to point out the director, Frank Tuttle. I've seen two movies by him by now. Um, him, two movies that he did by now. Um, and one of them is a 10 out of 10 called This Gun for Hire, which I talked about, I think, maybe last November or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was really good. The beginning of this one does like some very cool directorial things. So I think he could be like one of my favorite directors, except that I look him up and there is very little to no information on him. Hmm. Which is wild to me because I've seen, you know, I, I think that there's like some cool stuff that he's doing. And it's like, yeah, this is like very interesting. And then he just never got like a big break. Weird. The two that I've seen are his most popular and well-seen movies. And he never really did anything more than that. Never went crazy or like got uh, um, like that, that big break. And I wonder if he had the talent to do so. So I'm very curious about Frank Tuttle and I'm going to check out some of his other movies to see if, if we miss, if he had, he could have been, well, I don't, I, I don't want to say anything about like what he could have been or whatever, like what, be, before I see more of the stuff that he did, but just from what I've seen, I'm very, like he, his direction stands out to me. And mm-hmm. I feel like, why didn't he have more success? So, hmm. an so interesting, interesting. Uh, issue that I want to dive into that I'm like, has like really piqued my curiosity because 
how it, how it went down was there were sequences of this that I was like, this is really cool. Who actually directed this? What else has he done? And that's when I saw that there was that he did this gun for hire, which I really, really loved. Hmm. And then also like, there's nothing about him and nothing else that like that I had heard of. So yeah, that's strange. Very weird. This is the night uh, is still at a six for me. Cause there's still a lot of good stuff in it, but like, it could have been one of my favorites if the if it focused on better stuff. Very interesting. Yeah, uh, and then I also wanted to talk about High Anxiety. This is a, a, another Mel Brooks movie, which is specifically a spoof on Alfred Hitchcock pictures. Cool. Um, so this was also part of my thing of like I want to watch Hitchcock, but not actually. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean yes, but of what was easily available. Um, it's a very good parody. It's just not very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Mel Brooks. I think he's just really like his style of comedy and how he shows so much respect for the movies that he's like spoofing and parodying that I think is so cool. Um, mm-hmm. But and my favorites of his are also hilarious. This one just there there, there wasn't enough there there wasn't um, that many things that had me actually laughing, and there usually is. And you know you want to laugh when watching a comedy. <laughs> you do. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, so I still really like this one, but it just wasn't as funny as I hoped it would be. So. Bummer. Uh, that one's a six out of ten for me too, though, because I still thought it was quite good, um, and I enjoyed the watch. But cool. I wish I laughed more. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, real watched. quick point: the Criterion put up a collection on Hitchcock for the holidays. That's so fun. Which has so much good stuff in it too, because before. Um, Criterion had a collection of just his British movies mm-hmm. which I mean there are some gems in there but it's like that was before he became Hitchcock I guess like mm-hmm. everything that we know him for um, but uh, there's quite a number of like his certified hood classics in Hitchcock for the holidays so if anyone has an access uh, to Criterion channel I would say watch at least one Hitchcock movie in this month of December. I think I will have to follow up on that. (laughs) I love the idea of Hitchcock for the holidays. And I just like love a curated collection in general, especially when like the Criterion channel does it. They just always, they have really fun themes. I don't know. Hitchcock for the holidays. Yeah. Yeah, That's so good. So yeah, I want to watch one. The first movie that I watched this month was Across the Universe, my favorite movie ever. I've talked about it a couple times on here. If you will recall, earlier this month, I said I've been obsessively listening to the Beatles because they had just put out Now and Then. Um, And so, yeah, I had the Beatles on in my house a lot during that time, which I guess is how they made it into my top five (laughs) (laughs) on my Spotify rap. Um, or actually, I don't feel like Spotify Wrapped counts November, so maybe that's not true. But anyway, um, they yeah, would have been Adam number one. Just, <laughs> yeah, honestly, no, they could. There's just no way they would have beat Lana, but whatever. It would have been number two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Adam and I were just listening to so much Beatles at that time, and then it came 
to light to me that he had never seen across the universe. He'd never even heard of it. And I was like, dude, you are missing like a fundamental understanding of me as a person and me as a movie watcher. If you've never seen this movie. So I had to show it to him Mm -hmm. to my delight. He really loved it, but not as much as me, (laughs) but I don't think anybody loves that movie as much as me. Um, It's just so excellent. If you've never heard of across the universe, if you like my boyfriend have never heard of across the universe, um, it's a, a movie musical akin to like, Mamma Mia or Moulin Rouge in the sense that like the music of the movie was not written for the movie. Like it's Mm -hmm. not original music. It's a movie, a story that was like shaped around the already existing music and it's all Beatles music. So they kind of tell a story of a couple of years with all Beatles songs and the covers of it. I don't know. The covers are so good. The visuals that they set the songs to are so awesome. And a lot of it is just like so clever to me. Like a lot of the use of these songs, I think really gets at the vibe of the time, even when it's not necessarily like what the intention of the song was in the first place, which I think is so interesting. My favorite example of this is they do I Want You, She's So Heavy, which is one of my favorite Beatles songs ever. And it's not like a romantic, like longing, yearning, pining song in the movie. It's when one of the characters is getting drafted and the song starts with like Uncle Sam, a gigantic poster of Uncle Sam coming to life and pointing down and singing, I Want You. That is so good. Whoever can <laughs> that scene specifically. And then when they get to the get to the she's so heavy part it's a bunch of soldiers in vietnam holding up the statue of liberty genius bro that is so hard (laughs) (laughs) i just love it there's just a a lot of really great really thoughtful scenes like that but then also the whole of the story is really a love story between two characters and it's just like beautiful it's not corny to me at all i'm really rooting for them in their relationship the whole time which I don't often feel that way about romance movies. So it's really fun. It's always like a standout favorite for me when I find one that features a relationship that I'm like, I just love that. I love them together. It makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I've seen this movie 10 trillion times, maybe. A billion times. Oh, <laughs> 10 a trillion. <laughs> it's I thought such- a billion was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I just keep on watching it. I just always go back to it. I love it. I love it so much. It's a perfect 10 out of 10 for me, and I highly recommend it. Awesome. Across the Universe. (laughs) Starring Evan Rachel Wood. Yes, who has the voice of an angel. (laughs) A favorite of the pod from her time, her her turn in uh, Kajillionaire. Yes. I've watched... (laughs) across the universe a kajillion times kajillion times. there you go there it is okay the next one i watched is called after sun directed by charlotte wells from last year i thought that was i was thinking oh my god i love that movie but i was thinking of something entirely different i haven't seen after sun so that was not a warranted response yeah I wouldn't be surprised because everyone seems to love this is a lot of people's favorite movie from yeah uh seeing people's reception of it made me almost want to watch it but they showed the trailer for it a couple of times uh well like in the lyric in my local theater and every time I came out I was like oh I I cannot watch that movie (laughs) 
that is gonna make me way maybe too sad. Maybe we've talked about this. I don't remember I don't when, know. but maybe we have. Anyways, it was really. Good. I know my boundaries about sad movies. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> say. Yeah, it's not. It's weird because there's no necessarily sad scenes. Yeah, there's one that's like pretty sad actually. Yeah. <laughs> Come to think of it, but. It's not like, uh, well, it's not I, I, the way that I put it. And I remember we talked about this a lot uh, with the whale. Mm. Is that the way that I put it? Is it definitely not misery porn? Right. Like it's actually a very like nice, wholesome movie. Okay. That's sad because of nostalgia and associations that it brings up. And, and yeah, that sort of thing. that's just going to, that's just going to be what does it for me. Yeah. <laughs> But the the way that this I kind of slowly builds up before you realize it, I think is is the biggest um, asset this movie has. And then all of a sudden, it's just kind of like hitting you, and you're like, "Oh man, this actually is yeah very very." There's like one specific scene that goes crazy. Uh, I just need um, to. There's something of too about. Sorry to keep co-opting your review. That's fine. But there's Good something point. about. I know that it's about like a father daughter relationship and it's in a sad way. And if you may recall, I tried to watch the new or Pinocchio film and sobbed uncontrollably yeah. within like the first 10 minutes because of the nature of the father son relationship. So this is just something I have a personal boundary around. I just can't do it. Mm. Um. Yeah, I, I watched this in like a theater setting, and I'm very glad I did because the sound design and mix on this was insane. Oh, that's cool. It was so cool to just like hear the way that they use sound in, in, in certain ways was inspiring, <laughs> maybe. That's so cool. Um, and like very, very well done. I think that's one of the, the biggest pluses of this movie. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a scene towards the end that's um, that goes pretty crazy, um, and it all just kind of hits you. But uh, I thought it was really good. It's still not quite my favorite movie of 2022, but it is still a nine out of ten for me. Mm-hmm. After Sun, I Wait. would highly recommend it. What is your favorite movie of 2022? Um, everything, everywhere, all of. Oh right, of course, yeah. the best. That movie came out so early in 2022. That's true. That was before I had graduated from college. Yeah. Back when I still was not even a bachelor, much less the master. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. And this might, I don't know if this will come as a surprise or not, but actually the next movie that I saw, the next movie that I want to talk about uh, is The Boy and the Heron, Hayao Miyazaki's newest release you already saw it yeah it's out here oh my god we don't have like any movies that anyone else has but (laughs) i got to see el chico y la garza awesome (laughs) it was weird i don't i really don't know what to think about this movie i cannot wait to see it i'm so excited um yeah i I, I don't want to like spoil anything well there's really nothing that much to spoil, but it's 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 oddly disjointed. Hmm. Okay. I think the first maybe two thirds of this run as like a greatest hits montage of like themes and ideas that Miyazaki has addressed 
in his previous movies. Hmm. Um, which, if you want to check out our thoughts on all of his other movies, go watch our episode, listen to our episode that we did all about Miyazaki. One of our best. Yeah, I, I'm still, I think that's the oldest episode that we recommend. Yeah, <laughs> we really found our stride with that one. Yeah, I think that's like episode 19 or something. It's, it's called Challenge Month Begins, anyways. But uh, a lot of this plays out a little bit disjointed in like kind of just addressing a lot of themes that he's dealt with before. And it doesn't quite run together. It feels a little bit odd. It's like, why are we still here? Why are we spending so long on this? And it, I don't know. It, it doesn't quite all line up and tie together. But then once you get to a certain point, it, it, I mean, it's kind of similar to the killers of the flower moon in that, like the last 30 minutes or so are crazy. Mm, okay. Um, and and the 30 minutes of this one take a lot more up of the percentage <laughs> of the movie. Um, <laughs> But just the, the way that this one ends and like from a certain point up into the ending is like pure perfection, something that we haven't even like ever seen from him before and really deals with with concepts on such a big cosmic scale that are so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And so I was blown away by like the last 30 minutes or so. But, and this was a school day, I want to point out, I was dozing off a little bit at certain points before that i should also point out that i watched this in spanish and in vos which is uh version original subtitulos espanol so like whatever original languages with spanish subtitles Mm -hmm. and so japanese with spanish but at a certain point i was like okay I want to make sure. So there might have been some things that I have been was missing a little bit, okay. but it drags a little bit, to, like from the beginning to the to a certain point, and then from that, okay. I have no no nothing I can say. It's just so it's like a weird situation to think of the movie as a whole. Um, I did end up giving it an eight out of ten because I thought the ending was just so interesting and cool. But uh, it was quite it was quite a different experience from The Wind Rises, which I think okay. was was going to be originally be his last movie or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I definitely need to see it again. But uh, I, I really just don't know how I feel about it. But the, there, there's a lot of stuff there. Like it, I'm I'm glad that it exists. I guess I'm saying so. Hmm. I'm so intrigued. And yeah. uh, I mean, I was going to watch it anyway, but yeah. <laughs> I'm like even more excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, your turn. Cool. Um, okay. I watched another older animated film this month, which I feel like every month of like the last three, I've had like a slightly older, like animated movie in my watch list. I don't really, I'm not doing that on purpose. It's just going to happening. But this month I watched The Secret of Nim, which is an animated movie from the 80s. Have you seen it? Uh, it sounds familiar, but I can't. If I did, it was when I was very small. It's about mice <laughs> and other like small rodents. Um, okay. 
um, it was one of Adam's favorites as a kid. So he wanted to show it to me because I was just talking about how much I love like a uh, cozy woodland creature core. <laughs> I love seeing an image of like a mouse tucked into a bed. And that really goes a long way with me. And he okay. was like, Boy, do I have a movie for you? <laughs> and nice, it was the nice. secret of them. Um, this movie, so it sets itself up. You don't know what Nim is. Like it mm-hmm. just they like refer to Nim as I don't know, kind of like this place where they live. Um, it's like a magical mouse movie. Like it starts out with this uh-huh. adorable, wholesome mother mouse who has a baby mouse who's really sick, and she goes to kind of like their witch doctor mouse person and is like, "Please, I need medicine." And it it sets you up on this whole journey of this mother mouse like meeting these wizard types of characters like very intelligent little creatures with a lot of wisdom and a lot of like access like they can speak english they've got this access to i don't know this like other almost otherworldly information and you're like this is so cool like the magical nature of this land is so not of this earth and then it's revealed to you that nim N-I-M-H stands for National Institute of Mental Health. (laughs) And all of these rats that are really smart are just being experimented on. That's crazy. Like they are subjects of animal testing at the National (laughs) Institute of Mental Health. That is so funny. When when that came to light, I was like, God, that goes crazy. What a twist. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I gave this one only a 7 out of 10. And I really wish I had rated it higher. It's set up so well and like the plot is just really cool really thought-provoking this whole other layer of like animal experimentation and sort of protesting against that was really thoughtful and really well done i thought um and the animation style itself is just like stunningly gorgeous like seriously just some of my favorite like 2d animation that i've ever seen there's a lot of scenes that just lean into like the kind of trippiness of this world okay. so well and it's so cool and the mice are so cute <laughs> just <laughs> what I wanted um but in terms of like being a cohesive plot once again this is the same gripe I have with every single uh older animated movie that I've reviewed in like the last three months mm-hmm. it just doesn't tell like a linear story in a good way at all like I don't okay. there's just a lot of plot points that are like I don't know why that was included i don't know what it had to do with the story and then there's a lot of jumping around and you get to these plot points and it's just like what <laughs> like, how did we get here like the nature of the actual telling the story itself really fell flat for me so that's why it's only a seven out of ten but i would rewatch just because it's so beautiful and it's really cool. the rat wizard <laughs> alone is like worth watching again for nice. it's so cool so yeah that's the secret of nim uh, the next one I watched that I'm going to talk about is called The House on Telegraph Hill. This was part of my Noir Vember celebration. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't crazy about this one. Um, in my critically acclaimed letterbox review, <laughs> I got two whole likes on this one. Nice. Uh, I called it a great value brand, the mashup of Rebecca and Gaslight which I oh, think is okay. a fair as, uh, overall assessment. Um, yeah, basically this lady gets... gets. Uh, okay, actually, first, I got to start here. This movie starts off uh, in a concentration camp. Whoa. <laughs> she's, she's Polish and survives the Holocaust. And basically her best friend in the camp 
has a wealthy aunt that lives in America. And then when she dies, she pretends like she takes her identity and moves to America. Whoa. And things move on from there. And that's just such a wild way to start this movie. I agree. Like that's like a whole movie in and of itself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. But I, it just, I think it, it like maybe diminishes the, uh, the other, like, the antagonists of this movie because it's like you're really telling me that this lady survived the horror of the holocaust and then gets accosted by this silly man (laughs) from (laughs) california like what (laughs) yeah that's crazy i don't know that that's just like a very like i was i was very shocked about that because i mean yeah Noir is kind of like an offshoot of like pulp fiction in some sense. Uh-huh. And just that tackling the Holocaust and then switching to San Francisco. I've got to be honest, was like a little bit, I would say upsetting. It was just off for me, like a weird way. Cause this came out in 51. So there's like a little bit of separation from the war, but it still feels like, I don't know, maybe like a too soon moment in some ways. Cause <laughs> anyways, uh it it's basically everything that this does that was super interesting was also done in either rebecca or uh gaslight gotcha um the aunt that's dead is like a very big presence just like in rebecca and there's like lots of stuff detailing about oh what the aunt was like when she was still around and what she did and like feel her presence or whatever um and then it's like gaslight because the guy that she marries is sinister (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's uh some trouble about but i really don't have too much to say about this one beyond that it was a cool watch so it's the six out of ten for me nice but uh yeah i don't know the 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 title caught my eye for whatever reason i was like i'm gonna check this one out and it was good but I think movies movies that just remind me of other better movies, I can't fully get behind, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Like, I probably won't ever rewatch this one. I'll just watch one of those other two <laughs> instead. Totally. That's how I felt watching Scream. <laughs> <laughs> Not very comparable, but I was just kind of like, why watch this one when you could watch a campier and scarier like actual like why watch the parody okay. of the slasher you could watch the actual slasher i see i see um the next one i watched was a new release i think it was a hulu original called quiz lady um starring aquafina and sandra O. Oh. interesting and i watched it because i love jeopardy and this is a movie yeah. about a girl <laughs> who loves a quiz show that she watches and then goes on uh, and I like this way more than I was expecting. Okay, cool. I've never um, heard of it. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a Hulu original. It's not, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, it's not that good of a movie. Okay. There's something about it just connected with me. And I'm going to say, this is my favorite ever Will Ferrell supporting performance. Okay, interesting. Because normally Will Ferrell sometimes bugs me because he just shows up and he just tries to like, steal the show or whatever but he plays the quiz show host in this one mm-hmm. and it's just such a wholesome character that he actually like absolutely nails hmm. That's and awesome. i was like this reminds me of alex trebek in some ways who 
Yeah, I mean, if anyone doesn't know, uh, apparently Jeopardy is like a very American thing. I'm realizing like now, but basically Jeopardy is like a very long running quiz show um, in America, like every weekday for forever. And I had the same host for a while and he died of cancer like two or three years ago. But uh, he pretty much kept working until he couldn't anymore because he was getting bad. Um and so just something about like that, like care, like archetype, I guess, um, just really hits home for me. And like Will Ferrell actually played that type of kid, just like this wholesome TV host. I don't know. He actually just did so well. And I was like very, very impressed. I think there's something that was very like endearing and right about that aspect of this that just completely won me over in this one, even though a lot of the jokes didn't land because like, it's, it's a comedy movie. Um, and it, it's fairly funny. So the, I, I would probably say this should be a six, but I'm giving it a seven out of 10. <laughs> I respect it. Yeah. Um, all right. The next movie I watched this month was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. No uh, way. I watched, <laughs> I watched it right after I finished the book, which is that's how I did it last time too. Last time I read through them and I find that very fun. So I was excited no, to do that definitely. again this time around. Um, and it, again, better than I had remembered. I, <laughs> I don't nice, know why nice. I like, did not like the first book or movie the first time I read them, but I do like them this time. I, I like, especially the movie. It's a great movie. Like they just did such a, I guess what I'll say is that my, the thought that I remember having about every movie the last time I read them was that they should not have been movies. It should have always been adapted into a TV show because mm. they just need more time. And there's I think there's a lot of actually, stuff in there. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, and I think they actually are making a Harry Potter TV show right now, which I'm excited to watch. But um, this one is maybe the only exception. <laughs> <laughs> the first book is pretty short. It's a really fast read. And so the movie really captures everything I think it needed to very well. And it also just does such a great job of like bringing the magic to life. And that's just so fun. Like, I don't know, it really puts you into this atmosphere of Hogwarts. I think it captures the, the, the general like ambiance of the book really, really well. Um, and kind of like watching their first Quidditch game, like watching them fly around on the brooms and stuff. I thought it was great. Like it was just all done really well. The scene where Voldemort is like on the back of Professor Quirrell's head. It was crazy. It was awesome. Like I, it, his face is scary. The scene also where he's drinking unicorn blood. Freaky, dude. That's <laughs> a scary thing. Um So, yeah, I don't know. It, it was great. I actually really, really liked it. And the cast is adorable i kind of remember <laughs> they're so small in that one they are like, so little it's like, been a while I, since i've seen it but that's the thing i remember uh, the most is how they are, they are like i mean they're just actual children which is great <laughs> I feel like i i just a lot of movies especially recent movies and shows cast people who are way older than the age that they're supposed to be playing for whatever reason uh and i really appreciate when they don't do that like these kids are supposed to be like 11 and I think they are. Yeah. <laughs> and they're really cute and they did a great job. So I really like that. Like I kind of teared up at some of their performances, like especially around um, like Harry seeing the mirror of Erised and it, 
like sort of understanding that the deepest desire of his heart is just to see his parents. And he's like standing in front of the mirror, like, hi, mom, hi, dad. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm like crying. It's so sweet. Uh, I don't know. It was just really, really well done. It's a great adaptation. I have one complaint about this. And this is what I put in my letterbox review. And it's my the exact same complaint that I have about the first Lord of the Rings movie. And I'm sure that I talked about this on here when I talked about the Lord of the Rings movie. But both of these films take the characters of Gandalf and Dumbledore, who are very fun people. <laughs> they're very nice. Silly they're very boys. physical. They're silly. They're happy. Like they have a zest for life. And both they're of these zesty, movie adaptations. Is what you're saying. They are. They're zesty. Both of these movie adaptations <laughs> just strip the life out of them completely. Like Gandalf and Dumbledore are so serious in the movies. They're so soft-spoken. They like hardly ever smile. They've mm. got this air of dread and fear around them. I hate it. Like I actually am so opposed to that. I hate this idea that like when you're an old wise individual, it hardens you. It makes you, that is the magic of Gandalf and Dumbledore book versions is that they're old wise individuals who have not been hardened by the trials of their lives. They love joy, whimsy, magic, and fun. And you <laughs> portray them as such. That's awesome. Like, I don't understand why you're taking that away from them in the movies. It just makes no sense to me. And it actually really irritates me quite a bit. Uh, in the book, in the first book, Dumbledore like sits at the head of the hall every night in their like their great hall where they eat and like sings songs. <laughs> He's like, okay, everybody, let's do a little ditty. Yeah. You would never catch movie Dumbledore doing anything <laughs> like that. And that really just makes me so angry. So I gave the first Harry Potter an eight out of ten. And that's mm. literally my only complaint. Like that's how bad it makes me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much you talked about that with the Lord of the Rings because you were too busy uh, ranting about the absence of Tom Bombadil. <laughs> that pisses me off too. <laughs> Tom Bombadil in the movie. He's even more whimsical than Gandalf. <laughs> Stop stripping the whimsy. It's the best part. <laughs> so yeah, that's my oh. review. Very nice. Uh, speaking of books that we read that we watched the movie for, my next movie is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. No, I was wondering if you were going to watch that. I did. Yeah, I think I had seen it by the time of when we record recorded okay. the uh, book club, actually. Um, this one stars Kirk Douglas, one of my favorites, as Ned Land. And uh, James Mason is Captain Nemo. And similarly to what you said uh, about Killers of the Flower Moon, I think I would have liked this a lot better had I not read the book immediately mm, okay. beforehand. Yeah. Because this needs to bring more drama, make it more of an action movie. And since your biggest star, Kirk Douglas, is he played Ned Land, mm, there's okay. more prominence afforded to his character and his uh oh interesting being mischievous in different ways <laughs> antagonistic <laughs> towards nemo which was fun but uh, the things that we liked about the, the we liked the most about the book were pretty uh -huh. much absent from this one 
uh, of just like chilling in the ocean, seeing all the crazy stuff, uh, which makes sense due to like the technological constraints of this came out in 1954. Um, so like the moments where it did focus on like what's going on under the ocean were like very big deal moments, but they weren't the focus of the movie. Um, and it, inst- it instead focused on this conflict between uh, Ned Land specifically, or just and, and Captain Nemo, but it definitely portrayed Captain Nemo as more of a villain than in the book. And I think that that's what was most interesting to me about the book is this like moral ambiguity of Captain Nemo and like what of his actions could you stand by and which you couldn't, I guess. Yeah. Um, I agree. And basically, f- fairly early on in this movie, it kind of takes the turn of Nemo is bad. No one, none of the three fellers like him. That's surprising to me. Which, yeah, it's a little different. And I, I, on the one hand, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense because you have to, you know, create conflict and and keep things going mm-hmm. throughout the runtime. But it was. I don't know. It didn't quite work super well for me. Um, so yeah, I think I would have liked this a lot more if that this was like my first exposure to the story. But I think the things that I liked the most about the book were changed for the movie. Okay. And so I don't know how much of a me problem is, but me problem it is, but I gave it a six out of ten overall. Gotcha. Um, but people say that this is one of the best, like one of the best ever Disney live action movies. So I feel bad for rating it low, but I can't change how I feel about it. Now I just know to not watch any other Disney live action movies. <laughs> this was, I, I think I mentioned last month that who framed Roger rabbit was like the first time I ever used Disney plus. Yeah. This one was the second. <laughs> I still really, I've been thinking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit ever since he talked about it. I'm like, I gotta watch that. Yeah, you should check it out. Yeah, sounds like something I'd really like. I think so. Um, And the next movie that I watched is actually my new favorite first watch of 2023. This is a movie that I absolutely adored. Changed my life in some ways, (laughs) maybe. But uh, I don't know how how widely I'd recommend it because it is a very much like me movie. It's called To Sleep So As to Dream. Uh, this is a Japanese picture directed by Hayashi Kaiso uh, from 1986. And uh, similarly to how you said about The Witches of Eastwick, how it just felt like a movie drawn straight from your subconscious or whatever. I think there's a strong argument to be made that this is a movie that's pulled straight from my subconscious. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, basically, it's a movie set it, or like from 1986 in the style of like 50s Japanese noir. Mm-hmm. But it deals with silent cinema and, and uh, basically a silent movie actress. Uh, her daughter is kidnapped and she hires these detectives to go find her. So this was part of my noir vember 
but it's so much more. This is in silent movie style, I would say. It's not completely silent, but there's okay. no speaking. All the speaking is intertitles. Okay, interesting. Um, it's so quirky. The, the, the two detectives are so quirky. Um, the, the main guy just eats hard-boiled eggs nonstop, <laughs> which I think is so funny because it's like, it's it's a, just a quirky thing, but it's also a play on this idea of like hard boiled detective fiction. Oh the yeah, that's of like funny. Chandler and Kane and 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 all of them and Dashiell Hammett and all of those guys. Mm-hmm. I think that that has to be intentional. Yeah, I agree. the hard boiled, but uh, yeah, I mean it's basically a silent movie, and uh, it blends reality and like the dream consciousness and the dream consciousness that's portrayed. In film, also, okay. which are three things that are very important to me, <laughs> and just the way that it blends them throughout the runtime, and then as it like leads up to like the the fi- the finale, the climax. I don't know, man. It just goes so crazy. It's just so cool, and it just feels like su- such a special and unique thing. That's so cool. Um, and the runtime isn't super long because I feel like in if you're making a movie in the 80s that's basically a silent movie, it could outwear its welcome quickly. Mm-hmm. But this one doesn't. It it it, it comes it clocks in at 81 minutes, so it's uh-huh. not. It doesn't like linger on too much because I think um, when watching silent movies, and I watched a lot of silent movies this month for my hundred years ago project too, but. Silent movies don't know that they have to account for that. Well, I mean, maybe they don't need to, but like as from the perspective of watching today, you know, silent Mm -hmm. movies, like you you want them to move quickly. You don't want them to linger on things too much when they can show their information quicker. And this one knows that because it's being made in the (laughs) eighties. And it, it, it just, it keeps the perfect amount of time between things. It's so brave and ambitious with what it goes for and i think it nails it it looks absolutely beautiful and pristine the cinematography in this one is insane and uh i just i fell in love with it immediately i thought it was so good and so interesting and really something that i hadn't ever seen before but that was so familiar at the same time that Mm -hmm. i just automatically was like man this is so cool and it really just feels like an amalgamation of things that I love that are just executed so perfectly well that I I, I really loved it. This was a, the directorial debut, too, for, for the guy, uh, Kaizo Hayashi. That's awesome. And uh, I bought it on Blu-ray immediately after watching it. So I better <laughs> nice. watch it again over Christmas when I go home. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, to sleep so as to dream. It was it was so good, and I really and there, there was a uh, a new transfer. It was basically restored um, and then released on Arrow for the first time. Like this is only a, has only been available to watch on like uh, in high quality recently, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that more people should watch it. But I don't know. It it is also a very like me movie i don't know (laughs) how like widely i can recommend it but for for me it is so good and it's a 10 out of 10 in my new favorite movie favorite first watch of uh of this year so so awesome there you have it that's really exciting 
Yeah. Okay, your turn. You have one more, right? Yep. Um, okay, the last movie I watched this month, I finally watched Alien. Oh, I've been talking about wanting to watch this movie for so long. I think I've mentioned before that it's been pitched to me as Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. In space. I don't know if you have is- said that like on here, but I like that. I, I I shouldn't say it was pitched to me as that. I think I read that in an article. Okay. And now I can't remember. I really feel like I talked about this, but I was reading some sort of like zine or something that was about horror. And now I really wish I could remember what this was or where I read it, but they talked in that article, they called it Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. Uh, Before which is you get pretty to, accurate. I, yeah. I do want to say this is a rare occasion of a horror movie that I've seen that you haven't. Yeah, for real. Usually the horror <laughs> movies are ones that I need to catch up on. This is one that I watched. And- <laughs> um, people love this movie <laughs> for good reason. It's really, it's so excellent. It is so genuinely scary, um, which I don't think I quite expected, even with it having been called Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm. in space, <laughs> which I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is so scary. I still was like, I just don't know that an alien would ever scare me quite as much as a killer with a chainsaw. <laughs> okay. I don't really know why. I just don't think of aliens as that scary. I've never really been scared by an alien movie. I really couldn't, couldn't tell you why. I don't know. Um Anyway, it was scary. A lot of the scenes, like maybe not even the alien itself, but or in its like final form. But the one scene where the guy gets like a parasite version of it and it bursts out of him. Terrifying, dude. That was so freaky. And then just kind of this whole setup where it's like they don't know anything about this creature I love that. I think I've talked about this before too, but I I think the scariest horror movies lean very well into ambiguity. Like not in a sense where it's like, you're just confused the whole time. Like some of them take it too far and it's just sort of like, okay, I don't even know. Like this is just nonsensical. But if if it's done intentionally, it's so perfect because it makes you feel so unsafe and like startled. Like if the characters and you as the audience don't understand the rules of what's going on, like what it really takes to survive, like you do not know what you are up against. So there's not a ton of ways to think yourself out of it because you just don't know. That is so scary. I love it. It makes for such a good unsettling horror. And I think this one did it so excellently. Um, Also, Ripley. Is that her name? Is it Rippy or Ripley? It's Ripley. Ripley. Yeah. Um, Such a good final girl. Like, so (laughs) perfect. And I love a final girl story. And this one just does it so excellently. Like, sometimes I think a final girl story can lean too hard into this girl is more clever than everybody else. And then it makes you be like, is she really smarter than like <laughs> this, like all knowing supernatural being <laughs> as a teenage girl? Like, am I really supposed to believe that any normal 16 year old person or whatever uh-huh. could solve this? I don't know. And sometimes I think the final girl leans too hard into luck. And it's just like the whole movie, this one character just happened to be in the right place at the right time. That's also not so believable. Ripley is such a good balance. Like it's so believable. There's a a handful of scenes where like, it's just a matter of luck. It's just lucky that she wasn't the person who was in the vicinity of this thing when it happened. And there are also a good number of scenes where it's like, she is smart. She is 
I'm like, and they're like so quick on her feet, like she, in the moment, solving these problems as they happen and still being such a real person. There's, I laughed so hard in the scene where she like had set up the ship self-destruct and then she decided and she did, did not want the ship to self-destruct <laughs> and then she runs back to undo it, but it's too, she does it all and it's too late. And the thing's still the like robot voice is like self-destructing. And she goes, you bitch. <laughs> it's I was like, oh, that's so funny. It's so real. Like, I don't so know. It's relatable. Just, yeah, it's so I say that to my phone every time it doesn't give me the correct like instructions when I'm actively driving my car. Like, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, it's just very I I just loved her. Her character is so so authentic and it just makes perfect sense why she of all of these characters is the one to survive. Like it's just so justified. And I really appreciate that. It's very great, compelling storytelling. I will say I gave this only a nine out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10. And the only reason for that is because personally, I like the thing a little bit better. And Mm. the thing is very comparable to this movie. And it came out, I think only like three years after alien. So you got to give credit where it's due. I think the thing is heavily inspired by alien. And I don't think it would be quite as good as it is at alien, not kind of paved the way. Okay. But I, I don't know. There's something about the thing that's like just one step above alien to me. And I, I need to watch it again to be able to explain why that is. I really can't put it into words right now, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> it's uh, what's his name? Kurt uh, Russell. Kurt Russell. Yeah. <laughs> we know the real, the real reason. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pretend. Don't pretend that there's some <laughs> academic explanation to this. You just like Kurt Russell. <laughs> it might be true. I don't know. <laughs> I really like Kurt Russell. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So I, I, I have two more. And the first one is Lilia forever. This is so I, I, I got a free subscript uh, free trial subscription to Arrow Player, like their streaming service, uh, to watch to sleep so as to dream, because it was on my watch list beforehand. This mm-hmm. one was another one that's available on the service that was on my watch list, so I'd give it a watch. This one is very sad. Okay. In a different way to After Sun. This one is just miserable throughout. <laughs> Um, I do. I realizing I don't have too much to say about it. To be honest, it was very good. It was very much of a bummer. And another one where the ending kind of elevates it because I thought kind of the um, the sur- surrealism isn't quite that word, but like the the not quite reality of how it ended, I think was very cool and shed a light shed a light on what came before. But uh, yeah, this one's just a bummer. But eight out of ten for me. Um, nice. And then on on the thirtieth of November, I thought better wrap up Noir Vember with another Noir picture. I watched The Naked City. This is by Jules Dassin. I thought that it was okay. <laughs> Basically, this is it, it's kind of a gimmick, but none of it is shot in a studio. It's all in on location in New York in various places. And that's really cool. I really like the concept, but I thought that whole concept slash gimmick of the picture as a whole was clashing with what you were actually seeing in the story. 
I thought okay. all of the acting and it, it would like cut away to just like things happening on the streets and whatever. And mm-hmm. a lot of that just felt very artificial. It was like, okay, yeah, you're shooting it in public. And, and I'm sure a lot of this is like the hindsight of seeing these ideas being developed way more in the future. Um, like part of the French new wave was this idea of cinema verite where they would just, a lot of the French new wave was just shot very like guerrilla style on the streets. And um, Chronicle of the summer is a very iconic documentary part of the French new wave that like kind of explore these ideas. So it was a little jarring for this one to like pitch itself as, Oh, we're on the real streets of New York city. And then all of it was still like, very artificial <laughs> gotcha. and so i in looking at it from the from with the eyes of today it feels a little off and like maybe it could be excused but i can't change that the fact that this only very rudimentally rudimentarily goes into these ideas that were like so much better developed later Okay. that it feels a little bit iffy and it, since it focuses on that it sometimes neglects the like the plot machinations of this one um so i thought it was good but it just felt a little like off for me because of those reasons um and I, the story was interesting it was it was more of a police procedural kind of deal than like the character portraits we get in some other noir pictures that we talked about last week where it's like all about you know how the characters feel and less about the actual like story going on which wasn't as much of the case with this one i think without the way that it fits into the stuff that came around it i wouldn't really call it a noir as much as most other stuff mm-hmm. um but uh yeah it was good six out of ten for the naked city i don't know how much i'd recommend it i guess just because like there's the gimmick that it specifically leans into is done a lot better further on down the line so (laughs) yeah um and that's the last movie i have to talk about so now we've talked about what we read we talked about what we watched we talked about a whole lot of other stuff in between. <laughs> and now we find ourselves at the end of another episode of the Speaking English podcast. The last wrap up of 2023. That is true. Um, there was one thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up, uh, which was about Rebecca, the movie. No, not Rebecca. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Eileen, the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, is that it like comes out very soon i I, ever since we mentioned or like aubrey asked about it last week i have Uh just been seeing so much promotional material for it yeah i have too it's kind of funny kind of crazy but it's not gonna be out here so maybe i'll try to watch it when i'm home for christmas that's a good idea um but yeah i just wanted to touch on that real quick oh um what are you thinking for next week I don't know. Should we watch a movie? I think let's watch a movie. Okay. I try to. I, I had some ideas, but I don't remember what they were now. Of like something a little Christmassy themed. Yeah, that'd be great. But like, not quite a Christmas movie. We could watch something from the Hitchcock Holiday selection. Oh yes, that's true. 
<laughs> something that I haven't seen because I've been wanting to go through that and watch some of the ones that I've been missing out on. So yeah, that'd be great. I'll uh, yeah, I'll take a look through and okay. maybe let's pick that one for that. I think that would be a good idea, actually. Yeah. Cool. We can do that for next week. Do that for next week. Yeah. So all that is left is to recommend an album. Do you have an album to recommend for this? Yeah, I think I've recommended this before, or maybe you have, or maybe we both have. Mm. Because we know we both like this album, but I'm going to recommend Being So Normal by Peach Pip. Oh, nice. Um, I definitely have recommended this one, yeah. (laughs) I love this album, and I specifically love the song Alrighty Aphrodite. And I'm just, I go through phases where that's like my favorite song, and I'm in one of those right now. Like, it's me, I don't know, there are some songs in this world that I'm like, God, that is just such a good song. And I go through go through these faces where I'm like, it's just the only song I like literally put it on repeat, like this one song and listen to it in my car. So anyway, nobody responded to my call of action last week when I asked for more bands to sound like the the cranberries, but I desperately need more songs that sound like alrighty Aphrodite (laughs) or maybe just have kind of a, um, a sea vibe, like a mermaid esque vibe so that I can put on my playlist Please, like I need a whole playlist that revolves around the song already, Aphrodite, because that's how much I like it. And I need to stop listening to it. A mermaid-esque vibe. I like yes, um, uh, please. Can I have a mermaid-esque vibe <laughs> playlist? <laughs> <laughs> Send in your suggestions. I actually really need some. Thank it's you. It's just the soundtrack to the lure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, very good pick. Yeah, one of my favorites. I definitely recommended it because I listened to this album uh, obsessively. I think it's like so- early 2021. I think. It's, yeah, it's just a very good album. Love it me. is just yeah, very good. Um, have you ever heard of the Sugar Cubes? No. Uh, so my album is for today is called life's too good by the sugar cubes uh do you know bjork yes basically before she went big as a solo artist she was in a number of bands uh okay in iceland and this was the most iconic and popular and cool. like the, the it was somewhat of a super group i guess um okay. but i had never heard of the sugar cubes and i can't believe that i hadn't because this is like exactly what i need in my life because I really love Bjork's solo stuff, mm-hmm. but also I love br- rock and roll type music. Yeah. And so it's like as if I was to say, what if Bjork sang rock and roll music? <laughs> and then it turns out that she like has. And I just had no idea. Uh, but this is the debut album. There's two others that I haven't really listened to yet, but this one is so good. Um, yeah, life's too good by the sugar cubes, but the uh, huge fan, and I can't stop listening to it. Uh, here I'm at the excited. end of the year, so I'm excited about this. Sounds yeah. like something I would like. I think you would like it too, and it might even fit in with your category that you asked about. I'm not sure, I think some okay. songs might would, but worth listening to anyways because it's so good gotcha um but yeah that's my album we talked about our our books read and our movies watched it's been quite a doozy of an episode but uh we got into it and you'll love to see it 
wrap ups always go crazy. Seriously. We'll be back uh, next week with some Hitchcock movie from the Hitchcock for the Holidays collection that neither of us has seen. I'm committing to that now. Um, no, no, no Hitchcock rewatches for the pod for me right now. Um, so get excited for that. We'll be back soon. And uh, thanks you so much, everyone, for listening. Do great things this week. And uh, in the mailbag for this week, won't you tell us your favorite movie that you saw in November? Please. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, do great things this week. We both believe in you. And uh, thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>